This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. We welcome Suzanne Gordon to the program. How are you doing, Suzanne? I'm great, Bob. How are you? Okay. Award-winning journalist Suzanne Gordon is author of Wounds of War, How the Veterans Administration Delivers Health, Healing, and Hope to the Nation's Veterans. The book is published by Cornell University Press, where Suzanne Gordon is co-editor of a series on the culture and politics of healthcare work. The book is a reasoned defense of the VA, the Veterans Administration, against some in the federal government and elsewhere who want to transfer medical care for military personnel to private sector providers. I do want to hear your views on that. But this is the Historian's Podcast, and what intrigued me about uh, the opportunity to have you on as a guest is I'd like to spend some time on the history of medical care for veterans in America, which you deal with in an early chapter in your book. The Mohawk Valley, where we come from, or where the Historian's Podcast is produced in upstate New York, was greatly impacted by the American Revolutionary War. What happened to George Washington's troops after the revolution ended? Was there an effort to uh, care for their their problems? Well, um, so basically the, um, the, the book that I've written is about the Veterans Health Administration, um, which is the largest of the three agencies in the Department of Veterans Affairs, which includes the Veterans Benefit Administration and the National Cemeteries. And um, the history, as, as you mentioned, Bob, of, of the VA or of, of the modern VA and our relationships to military veterans goes back, you know, to, to the Revolutionary War when um, the, the veterans in, in George Washington's Continental Army um, were paid in paper currency, um, and it was really essentially worthless, and it wasn't accepted by banks and merchants or governments who were demanding overdue property tax payments. And um, so people were suffering from evictions from um, their small farms, or they were put in debtors' prisons. um, And the Continental Army officers um, did a little better. They got some pensions, as did their widows and orphans. Um, But there was really not a lot of... um, help for regular soldiers, and um, there was actually the Shays' Rebellion in Western Mass um, that was suppressed. Um, so there's mm-hmm. a long history of really a failure to take care of veterans or, um, you know, it's like we love our soldiers during war, but as President Trump said, you know, we, we don't really, um, President Trump and his example of not wanting to take care of spend the money to take care of veterans um, when they're not in the military any longer. Mm. And this is, this we can trace this in the Civil War, um, in the First World War, um, and then all the way up to attitudes now mm-hmm. among ultra-libertarian um, politicians and, and corporate uh, corporate. CEOs and so forth. I'm sorry to keep dragging you back to the past, but what we see up here uh, historically is that after the revolution, and I presume they were the officers, were granted land up here uh, because this was the frontier at the time. Right, right, right. And and they and some of them were, but probably was not their 
ordinary soldier. Right. Yeah, I mean, I I have to say, Bob, I'm I'm you know I wrote a chapter on history in my book. I'm not an expert on the history of um, of how we treated veterans. I know about Tuchet's Rebellion. I know about um, in during the Civil War when um, people were really it was really quite appalling. Um, um, one gentleman said that you know um, they the um, veterans should sort of, you know, pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. And, um, and I mean, Lincoln said um, that we had a responsibility, and this is, this is the slogan always that's used, you know, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and orphaned. But, um, I mean, there was... Uh, there was this feeling that, you know, if you took help from the government, you were sort of a, as one person said, a slump and a dirty loafer, and, you know, that you wouldn't develop, quote, new muscular habits, and and you'd become dependent on, on welfare, and that really is a sentiment that continues to this day, and there's a a big debate even about, you know, should people with post-traumatic stress disorder, if they get compensation, should they, um, you know, should they, if they get better, you know, should they stop getting, getting compensation and that kind of thing? And, you know, they'll be somehow dependent on the dole or the government. And Mm -hmm. so it's, it's really a, a, I mean, you know, you see the same attitudes towards interdependence and, collective responsibility echoing through the ages. And, um, I mean, there's a wonderful book that that is now out of print um, called The Wages of War that goes into this in, in huge depth. And um, 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 But the, the echoes really are very clear today. I mean, when in, 19, in 2014, Bernie Sanders, the senator from Vermont, um, who was then head of the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee, proposed a $21 billion uh, increase in the VA budget, which was much needed because they've been chronically underfunded, and um, it was going to go to staffing and expanding a variety of programs that were needed. And you heard people like Jeff Sessions and... Um, Conservatives. I don't even like to use the term conservative because I don't think they're conservative, really. But um, saying that our veterans, you know, wouldn't want to to bankrupt us ourselves and you know threaten the future of our children, et cetera, et cetera, uh, to to fund the VA, the Veterans Health Administration. And uh, meanwhile, you know, they have no trouble passing huge tax cuts for the ultra rich, but. Um, so it's it's really um, uh, historically quite interesting the echoes of of these attitudes towards veterans, um, and you know we like them when they're winners. But once, as Trump said of McCain, you know, echoing this philosophy, I prefer winners to losers. Is when he talked about uh, John McCain being a POW in, in Vietnam. Mm. Um. If I could, again, dragging you back to the history of it, uh, talking about the Civil War veterans, one thing I've noticed in writing the local stories that I do about 
this part of the world, if you will, which is in the north. Uh, and the there was this uh, affection for the Grand Army of the Republic, it seems, the men who mainly met, of course, men who fought in the in the Civil War. Um, there, I was just doing a political story where one of the candidates was lambasted for trying to cheat a veteran out of uh, out of land or or something like that. So it seemed that they uh, they had. Uh, you know, maybe the word I guess I used before I use again, an affection uh, for the veterans, whether they, that actually translated into health care or uh, otherwise uh, programs that would help. I don't know. Well, I mean, I think that this this issue of uh, does affection transcend into programs? I mean, it's all fine and good to say you love veterans, but if you don't give them the care that they need and recognize the wounds of war... I mean, there were Civil War veterans who were amputees, who were, you know, and the, and the Civil War veterans, there was one who who wrote in the New York Herald, this is a quote from the, well, this is from actually the other book, what are the returned soldiers who were mustered out honorably, honorably uh, from the service to do for employment? Are our wives and children to starve? All are willing to work, I'm sure, if they can find employment. If a soldier asks for a situation, the response generally is, quote, we are full or we engaged a clerk this morning. So, you know, they had the same kind of problems back then that they have now. Now, after the Civil War, um, there were some national homes for disabled veterans that were created. There were, like, you know, about six around the country then. And um, those... Uh, were kind of um, little, almost little towns, you know, with churches and theaters and post offices and so forth, um, and they became the the soldiers' homes, you know, um, and that was. But the interestingly, of course, the disabled Confederate veterans were excluded from those homes and from the national homes um, unless they had um, had actually. Mm-hmm. Change sides and taken an oath. Um, so it, it's it's you know we're I mean the thing I think historically that's interesting is all these wars were supposed to well I don't know about the revolution but certainly the Civil War and all these other wars World War One World War Two I don't I mean you know Iraq Afghanistan these wars were all supposed to be over quickly and of course were never over quickly and the cost of taking care of people after the war was over or after they left the battlefield was never calculated mm-hmm. into the cost of war and and nor in our modern day um i mean the thing that's interesting in in my book wounds of war and in the 5 years i spent talking to veterans all over the country is um it's it's not just we often think about the Veterans Health Administration is taking care of combat veterans. We often think of wounds of war as being wounds on the battlefield. But in fact, um, it, you can military service has its own wounds, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, there are many people who are veterans who've never left the continental United States and who have terrible back, neck, knee, shoulder, ankle, feet, whatever problems from carrying 70 to 100-pound packs around all the time. Um, There are terrible toxic explosions. They've even shown that in some military training, uh, again, without even leaving um, the U.S., 
the, the, the explosives that are used in, in battlefield training have created mild brain injuries, traumatic brain injuries. Um, there, was a, there were some terrible drill sergeants in a Marine camp in Paris Island, um, and one guy killed himself and others have suffered PTSD. So uh, preparing for war creates its own wounds, and then added to that are actual combat wounds where, you know, you can, I mean, now in Iraq and Afghanistan, the, the, the signature one is the traumatic brain injury mm-hmm. and PTSD, mm-hmm. Agent Orange and PTSD were Vietnam, um, Gulf War Syndrome. I mean, there's, this is a very dangerous occupation. Amen. Uh, Suzanne Gordon's with us. She's author of Wounds of War, How the Veterans Administration Delivers Health, Healing, and Hope to the Nation's Veterans. We'll be back with her in just a moment. I want to put in a word for our GoFundMe campaign that keeps the Historian's Podcast on the Internet. Uh, we welcome your contributions uh, any size. Our The website for that is GoFundMe.com forward slash Historians2018. If you don't want to donate uh, online using your credit card, you could make out a check to me, Bob Cudmore, and send to Bob Cudmore, 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. Our guest on Historian's Podcast is Suzanne Gordon. Her book is called Wounds of War, How the Veterans Administration Delivers Health, Healing, and Hope to the Nation's Veterans. Maybe we'll, we'll get a little closer together in chronology. I do note uh, that, um, you know, I've been going through some of the wars, asking you about the history of the care of, of veterans, and we come up to World War I, and it's after World War I, but quite a bit after World War I, that the Veterans Administration was created in 1930. Was that created because of what they called the Bonus Army, or do I have the chronology no, of that wrong? So- Army um, was um, oh boy so um, they they had a sort of panoply of um, of agencies taking care of veterans um, and there was the national homes that um, that the um, and then there was the Bureau of War Risk Insurance under the Treasury Department. Um, that began to sort of have insure injury policies for active duty personnel veterans and families of servicemen. Um, there was the um, U.S. Public Health Service, which was then also tra- housed in Treasury, and they began building um, facilities for veterans, um, etc. They acquired some Army hospitals um, and. Um, and then in 1921, the, the Congress merged all these programs uh, into a Veterans Bureau, mm-hmm. right? And um, so then, then um, they, beca- they created um, the, uh, the Veterans, and later they created the Veterans Administration. I mean, the Veterans Bureau was, um, was run by this guy, Charles Forbes, who was, later fired for for defrauding the government um the bonus march was um it was it was a result of the fact this happened in um 1934 
and um, World War Two excuse me, World War One veterans were given pensions, and they were um, they were told that they would be paid uh, way later in 1945. Um, so this was in in 1924. Um, they passed this what was called the World War Just Compensation Act, and mm-hmm. they were given certificates that they could get these pensions 20 years later. But then the Great Depression happened, and people said, we don't need pen, you know, this money in 1945, or we need it, like, now. So they had this huge march. I mean, it was just extraordinary. Uh, this march, Hoover um, was uh, president, and they came, thousands and thousands of veterans came to Washington wanting the money now. Mm-hmm. And Hoover sent... Um, MacArthur, who was then Army Chief of Staff, um, the uh, Eisenhower, Patton, and they assaulted these veterans mm-hmm. with bayonets and tear gas and tanks, um, and and really drove them off of of Washington, out of Washington. And um, I, actually, it was pretty interesting because um, Roosevelt, when he came in in 1933, actually, well, I'm sorry if I, let me interrupt you. You had said ni- this happened in 1934. That can't be right. It was. 1932, maybe? <clears throat> it was in 1932, I guess, 1932. And um, it was right before, it was under Hoover, so you're absolutely right, because Roosevelt came in 33. Um, so uh, it, it, they had this huge bonus march, and <clears throat> uh, these generals who later, you know, came to fame in, in, in World War II actually were attacking World War I veterans. Now, uh, fast-forwarding some, and we have about 10 minutes left, and uh, you, you described the work of one man for in the Veterans Administration, or I don't have the correct uh, initials and so forth, but my question is this. Who was Kenneth Kaiser, and what did he do for veterans' health care? So until, 19, until the 1990s, until 1994, um, the VA, which did expand and created all kinds of they added many more hospitals and so forth, and uh, created right after the war. Uh, it was in 1946. Uh, affiliations with the nation's uh, academic medical centers, but it was largely an inpatient, uh, um, an inpatient hospital. Uh, system, and Kenneth Kaiser came in. He was a physician. He had been. He was a veteran. He had been uh, the head of the Department of Public Health in California, and he came in in nineteen. Um, excuse me, nineteen ninety four under Clinton, and he created the modern <clears throat> VA. He encouraged the development that there had been a bunch of people inside the VA developing a modern. Healthcare information technology system called Vista, which is the first and still remains the best healthcare uh, electronic medical record around. Um, he also expanded to outpatient care, and he decentralized the VA. He really brought us the VA that um, is today, and um, it was him and his team. And it was very interesting because of the what they call the Kaiser Revolution, and it's spelled K-I-Z-E-R. Um, he 
he created a healthcare system which I believe is the best healthcare system in the United States. Now, you know, the United States healthcare system, the broader private market driven, profit driven healthcare system has a lot wrong with it, as many people know, which is why there's been this endless debate about why we're the only country in the world that doesn't have a national publicly funded healthcare system. We actually do have a small national publicly funded healthcare system, which is the Veterans Health Administration. But um, Kaiser created a healthcare system that started to be the envy of of the rest of American healthcare and and uh, or Business Week and Harvard Business Review and Forbes and the Wall Street Journal were all praising the VHA as a model for healthcare for the rest of the country. And when the Bush administration came in, they did not like that narrative at all because they were people who felt government can do no right and the private sector no wrong. And they began to not just so much crack down on on the delivery, although they started underfunding it, but certainly on the on the story that was told by the VHA about itself. And um, they began centralizing communication that was continued under Obama. So it's really pretty startling that the VA is a healthcare system where we have literally thousands of studies documenting the superiority of VHA care over private sector care in many in many uh, areas of treatment and care, and we also have, um, or or often it's equal to the private sector, but we now have, you know, the Koch brothers founded Concerned Veterans for America and other ultra-radical libertarian groups who don't like government, um, they are promoting this idea that the VHA is broken, and, and that is really not true, mm. and and my book, Wounds of War, really tries to take you into how care is delivered in the modern uh, Veterans Health Administration. Uh, in fact, you make a point uh, that uh, with these different agencies, the Veterans Health Administration is one thing, but there's a Veterans Benefits Administration. I believe you say that uh, veterans, if they're dissatisfied, are typically dissatisfied with the VBA, which I guess assigns the benefits? Yeah, I mean, if you have a veteran who comes up to you and starts complaining about the VA, and the VA is, I mean, it's its really, um, the, it should be the DVA, I mean, it's the Department of Veterans Affairs, um, often what you discover is that they're complaining about the Veterans Benefits Administration, which is the agency within these three agencies in the, in the Department of Veterans Affairs that deals with allocating benefits and deciding, you know, can you get a GI loan, can you get access to <clears throat> veterans' health care? Because, um, and this I think is a real historical tragedy, uh, not all veterans uh, are eligible for care under the Veterans Health Administration. Uh, only people who have a provable service-connected disability and or low income can get care from um, the VHA. And so that means that, or, and then the other thing that the, um, the Department of the VBA, the Better Benefit Administration, uh, determines his eligibility for compensation for service-connected disabilities and pensions. Co- what they call comp and pen. So 
you know, um, we have, in my view, unnecessary eligibility requirements. We are a country that can afford to pay for health care for all, vet- all veterans, and we don't. We mm. don't. And um, it, we pay for only the sickest, poorest, and oldest. And that really makes the healthcare system more expensive. And I think we could easily afford to pay for all veterans. And it wouldn't be, you know, double the amount because it, the people who are wealthier or healthier cost way less than people who are sicker, poor, and older. Let me see if I understand this. Let's say uh, someone is a veteran of the war in Afghanistan and gets uh, some cancer, let's say, that's unrelated to uh, service in Afghanistan. They can't treat him at the VA? Okay, so this is complicated, to make things even more complicated. So post-9-11 veterans are given five years of free care and sort of no questions asked. But then it's it's sort of unclear whether they'll be continued to be cared for. But if you weren't in combat... Uh, let's say you uh, entered, um, I mean, I, there's a 51-year-old veteran I interviewed in San Diego who had been in, she was in, I think, the Navy, and she got out. She never saw combat, and she ended up um, having an amputation, and she was able to get care only because she was catastrophically disabled. Um, I know a veteran who's uh, 49 years old who never served anywhere, and he was, he had actually private sector insurance because he wasn't eligible for uh, VHA care, but he got hit by a car and was a quadriplegic, so he could get care and gets care at the VHA only because he is in a priority group of catastrophically injured veterans. But if you were, uh, you know, 55 and you are a lawyer and you don't have a serious health-related problem, uh, you can't go to the VA, the VHA, and get care. And um, so, and there's all kinds of, you know, even uh, for for post-9-11 veterans who come in later than the five years, um, there's all kinds of restrictions about service connection. And I know a veteran who was a paratrooper who had really bad knees and um, was trying to get compensation, not health care, compensation for um, these knee injuries. And it, the, I saw the claim that the doctor who examined him uh, who was actually a doctor who, because they're trying to outsource more of these exams to private sector physicians in the, the BA, and the doctor said, "I'm sure his, I'm sure his knee problems are due to service connection, but he has no paper trail from when he was in the Air Force or Army. I can't remember which one he was in." you know, showing that he went to the doctor about these knee problems. And a lot of times, you know, these problems don't show up. I mean, they don't show up until later in life, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, you're 18 years old, you're jumping out of a out of an airplane. It might not show up. So it's very cumbersome and, and actually costs, 
I don't know if anybody's ever costed out how much we pay to these gatekeepers who are determining benefits, but I bet it's quite a bit, and if we just allowed everybody in, no questions asked, it was presumed that, you know, you're jumping out of airplanes, you're going to have mm-hmm. some muscular skeletal problems. That would simplify things a lot. Suzanne Gordon, I thank you very much. We're just out of time. She's author of the book Wounds of War, How the Veterans Administration Delivers Health, Healing, and Hope to the Nation's Veterans. You've been listening to the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore.